0: Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. I want to begin with Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. I'm trying to compose myself. I get a little emotional there. Start talking about people getting saved. That gets me fired up. <clears throat> which is why we do what we do. Romans 8:28 through 30. And we know that in all things, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We've talked about our past, that it doesn't define us. His work in our life, that's what defines us. Amen? We think about our past and the things and the mistakes we've made, but. What Christ has done us, as we've looked at our past in the light of what Christ has done for us, that's what defines us. His forgiveness and his encouragement, that's what defines us. We talked about our present last week. God is at work in us, causing us to do and, and to will of his good pleasure. We're signed and we're sealed by the work of the Holy Spirit. We have a wonderful right right now if we'll just focus on it. We have something that God wants to release into our day and into our life and that how it will affect us. Today we're going to look at our future. The Bible has a lot to say about our future. As a matter of fact, the Bible is the only book that accurately describes the future for every human being. You know, there's a lot of conjecture, there's a lot of documentaries. You can Go through your Netflix or Amazon movies, you can see all these documentaries as people talk about the future. But God's the only one who's got it right. And God is He's He's working in us. And and just like in the days of Noah, people will continue to think that all is well, but God is patiently waiting for the time when He will come again. And all of this what that we're experiencing right now is gonna be wrapped up in the blink of an eye. But we're alive today. And it can be unnerving to think of the future, isn't it? When you consider the uncertainty of what each day brings, we know the past was full of uncertainty. And people seem to always be shocked at the upsets to the status quo. When we think about things that, that come upon us that are shocking, like Pearl Harbor during the beginning of World War II, we just celebrated or memorialized that just a few weeks ago. We paid a dear price for not being prepared, not thinking about our future. But what about our future? What about our future? Everyone in this room, how do we embrace it as Christians? Can we know what is going to happen tomorrow? Should we? You know, we have a prophetic gift. We know that the, the spirit of, of, of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is, is prophetic. But what does that really mean when we think of living Every day, and keeping the future in mind. When we think about our future, every Christian, when filled with biblical truth, should be walking with a peace that surpasses all understanding, all logical sense. We shouldn't be fatalistic or resigned to whatever comes our way. That's another religion, by the way. No, we should be excited because each day is a chance to see the kingdom of God advancing. And not just advancing in general, but advancing through our lives. The future should not be wrought with uncertainty, fear, or resignation. One choice today can change your future. One decision can redirect the flow. So I'm going to share with some verses, uh, some other verses with you, but I want to, I want to focus there in Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. And what do we learn from those verses? Number one, our future is definitely going to work out for our good. You know, God is good. God is the essence of goodness. He is the standard by which all goodness is measured. For those who love God and his son Jesus Christ, as it says there in that verse, our future is definite. It is wrapped up in certainty. All things, past, present, and future, every curveball that can be thrown at, at us, every struggle, every surprise, quote-unquote, every hindrance, every breakthrough that you have, and every opportunity that are, is given to you works toward God's purpose for your life, Are good. That takes faith. Because there are those times when we feel truly challenged to say, you know what, and, and we say this a lot, don't we, my life is out of control. It's just out of control. It's never out of control. It's only it seems that way to you. It's like opening up a clock or a mechanism and looking at that and saying, it's a mess. I have no idea where anything goes or how and why it does what it does. But God knows that about your life. Knows that every every bit and piece, every cogwheel, every part of your life. Every attempt by the enemy of our soul, the devil, to thwart the providence of God. And what the providence of God is, is God's plan being worked out in his time and in his way. The providence of God, every every attempt of the enemy to try to, to, to stop that is in the end used for his glory too. That's what, of course, we celebrate this time of the year. Satan tried to thwart, we saw the depiction of young Mary singing a song, saying, breath of heaven, strengthen me for what you have chosen me to do. And of course, the enemy came in like a flood to try to destroy the work of God, didn't he? Having all the children, two and younger, killed, murdered. But they didn't get, didn't get Jesus. Didn't get that baby. And when he did, it worked right into the Father's plan. When Satan thought he had won by destroying his son, he's like, gotcha. I knew you would want to have a murderous heart, and so I used you for my purposes so that forgiveness and healing and redemption could be had for all mankind. So how do we stay in peace regarding our future? How do we stay there? Simple answer, you have to continue loving and needing God. Isn't that what it says in our verse there? It says there, all things work together for good for those who love him. Yep, that's simple right there. I just have to stay loving him. Our lack of love, and the truth is, our lack of love is not going to deter God's plan at all, because there are those days when you're like, man, man, I I haven't thought about the Lord, I haven't, I haven't told him I love him, I haven't had that, that sense of real communion and connection with him, but did you know, that didn't make him stop loving you, not at all. Now, in human relationships, if we don't keep up that, that love meter going, you know, we can... Uh, We can drift a little bit, but God doesn't have marital drift. He loves us, and he's never going to stop loving us. We're his children, and he's committed. He's already sent his son. So that's where we are in the timeline, is God is committed to the hilt, and he's already shown us that. It's just a matter of us, really, coming to that peace concerning his unconditional love. In other words, having faith in that. And we've learned about that as far as our past our present, we know that he's forgiven our past, we've come to faith, that we know he, he's in our present and then, and then everything that we go through, he's ready to handle. But when we think of our future, we've got to have the same kind of faith that that love is not going to drift, it's not going to diminish in any way, shape, or form. But those who do not love God do not have the benefit of the peace that comes from this prophetic truth. They just don't. Those who love God will most certainly walk in peace. And that's his promise. We also, to answer the question regarding our future and how do we deal with it, we've got to embrace our call, okay? We've got to embrace what God has called us to do. Because, again, let's go back to the verse. For those who love him and, essentially, who have been called according to his purpose. Look. We've all been called according to his purpose. And that, of course, is really over the last 20 years of the church has been, you know, church, the, the, church history goes through periods of time. And you may not watch that nearly as much as I do. Not only do I have a love for history, but I have a love for the church and, 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 and how I function within it and where our church is in the grand scheme of things and how we flow with what God is doing in our country and in the world. And one of the things that, that that I have noticed is that over the last 20 years, God has restored the purpose of his people. Rick Warren wrote that book, The Purpose-Driven Church. It was a world seller. It caught the world by storm because the Holy Spirit used it to communicate to his people: you have a purpose. And not just to fill a seat, and not just to all do what we're doing all facing the front and hearing. But then when we walk out those doors, we go with this, we're laden with purpose. We're, we're, we're walking in something that is so much bigger than we could ever imagine when we think of the church and our place in it. But you've got to embrace it. If you want to see all things working out for your good, then you've got to embrace that good. You've got to embrace what it is that God is doing. And that is saying, showing up every day to the kingdom, just like you show up for work to say, yes, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. I know what you've called me to do, to be salt and light. I've called, you've called me to shine brightly. You've called me whatever I'm doing, working at the plant, making widgets, hitting a ball, studying books, taking care of children. You have a purpose. And and God's good is going to flow through that. The truth is, in in the converse of this whole thought, is if you're not feeling the good, it's not likely you're in his purpose. There is a calling. You know, ekklesia is a Greek word for what we use for the church. And it literally means called out ones. That's cool right there. Called out ones. Called out of the world, yes, but called to the world, called to shine, called to tell the world about what it is that Jesus has done. We submit to it, and when we embrace it, there is something that is special that's going to be released in our lives. This goes back to, again, Our very purpose from the very beginning. We studied that in in Genesis when God looked at Adam and Eve and said, look, go forth, subdue the earth. This is yours. Now go take ownership of it. Now we know that we're in the grand taking back. And God is saying, look, I want to give you this earth again. I want you to be able to rule and reign in, in my stead in the name of Jesus. Now go and do it. We'll experience the good in that, my friends. Of course, God wants a relationship, doesn't he? He knows it's exactly what we need. And that relationship has purpose. It's not just a relationship, but it's a relationship that's laden with purpose. We're going to co-labor with him. He is, he's got a vision. He's got a purpose. And we come alongside with him as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That We come alongside him heart to heart with a desire. It's like being on a team. It's like... In a partnership, it's, it's more than that, the best, the deepest. What I'm sharing with you is when we embrace those two things, when we embrace the fact that we have been called, that we have been given a purpose, that when we love him and we connect with him, then all of it will make a lot more sense. There'll be a miraculous thing that takes place inside you. Our story, even, he's lost. Things are crumbling around him. His marriage is failing. He's he's got no hope regarding the future. He's got this overwhelming sense of failure. But all could change in an instant by him embracing his heavenly father, the one who made him, the one who knows him, the one that has a calling and a purpose for his life. Secondly, our future is known by God, and God knows all things, doesn't he? And this is proven out throughout Scripture time and time again. David understood this. David, when he, when he embraced these things in the quietness as a, sh- a young shepherd, he got to know God, which is why he was a man after God's own heart, because he pursued God. He went after him in, in, in a time when God was not to be found. When you had to climb, you couldn't touch the mountain. When you couldn't approach God without having sacrifices. But David was was pushing past all of that and saying, no, no, no. I want to be with God. And God looked at that and said, I like this guy, David. And so I'm going to share my heart with him. I'm going to show him that there is something prophetic coming through his life. But our future is known by God. Because we know from what Jesus told us regarding the individual knowledge of God concerning each human being. And he said that. He said, let me just tell you something. You think in terms of just a mass of humanity, that there's this, this globe or this, the, the mob. He said, you think in those terms. He said, but let me tell you how my father really thinks. He knows you by name. He knows you. And you can take great comfort in those words. You know, We shouldn't be overwhelmed with what's taking place. And, you know, there's a lot of emotion out there right now regarding refugees, immigration, and things like that. A lot of emotions all over Facebook, just lighting up the pages. But when you think in terms of this earth belonging to God, when you think in terms of the kingdom of God forcefully advancing and and God's people taking hold of it, get ready. what I'm getting ready to say now is that this is more of an opportunity than maybe you realize. Did you know to go to an Islamic country to try to preach the gospel is almost impossible? They call it the 1040 window. They specifically know that the last unreached people groups on the planet are in that section of our globe. And so all the missions agencies are pouring in, pouring in millions, if not billions of dollars every year to preach the gospel to the hardest peoples on the planet, and they're about 90% Islamic. And when you go there, your chance of dying is pretty high. And we're going to have some of those people here coming up in, in February, by the way. But now, they're being sent to us. They're being sent to us. Now, you may look at that and say, well, they might want to try blow me up. Be that as it may. That still gives you opportunity to preach the gospel to them. And you as a Christian shouldn't be walking around in fear because we know the future. I mean, look, man, I'm getting way off my page, but look, you don't walk. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be walking in fear, period. If you're walking in any kind of fear, then you don't know your future. You're not walking in a sense of peace. It's like, kill the body. I mean, you can blow this thing up, but man, you've just given me an early, you know, an early advancement to where I'm going. Yeah, that's right. Now, now I understand all the other stuff, all the other political stuff. You, you, I mean, you know, I understand that. I get it. You know, I'm into our military. I I love our military. I love I love the strength of who we are as a nation. I love all of that. But here we have an opportunity, and we shouldn't look at it. On one hand, it looks like the enemy trying to destroy us, but really, is it an opportunity? to preach the gospel to people who've never do you know that more people from islam are coming to christ today than ever in our history why because we have access for the first can you imagine them hearing the gospel for the first time and comparing it when they really get to see our jesus you know mm. You know, these words say, I'm going to moving back to our notes here. These words say, he foreknew us, and he predestined us. Now, I don't want you to get hung up here, because, man, we can get into some deep theology, theology that I have been very well steeped in, all right? So many people do get into arguments, you know? But the bottom line is that the Bible tells us that God chose us, we didn't choose him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. He's saved Not even the faith came from you. Uh-oh. That's kind of messing up the way I see my life. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. So that no one can boast. Well, I'm a little better than you. Therefore, I got salvation first. I'm glad to see that you got it. But I got it sooner than you. Nobody can boast. Not rich, not poor, not anything. For we are his workmanship. Everybody say his. his. I didn't make myself. I'm not the, the, the craftsman. He's the craft. He crea- and then it goes on created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why did he make us? to do things on his behalf. It's all right here. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And Paul gets into it deep right there. But that's what he's talking about when he talks about foreknowledge, when he talks about predestination, which again is a word. If you go and look up on the internet, you'll be like, Pastor David, what are you talking about there? Well, if you want to talk, we can sit down and talk, but... All right now, just listen. But anyway. <laughs> so this shouldn't make us have to defend free will. That's my point here. And why would you want to? If God says that he chose me and predestined me to be conformed to the image of his son, why would I want to argue that? Why would I want to argue that point? And I don't understand Christians when they get into fights over that, to be honest. I'm like, man, i <laughs> I'd rather just walk in the room and say, you got this? Oh, great. <laughs> Instead of walking in, look, you're about half there. Angel's going to be around. to Just make sure you deserve this to the end. I think you can handle that. So how do I lose when we think in terms? Here's an example for you. A man is drowning in the ocean. Someone comes to rescue him. Why would the drowning person need to remind the rescuer that they have a choice to drown if they wanted to? So you're out there, I could drown. I might choose that. Because that person is drowning, are they really free to do anything other than to accept their fate? My point is this. You know, you're going down, and all humanity is going down. And God threw a life preserver, and his name is Jesus. And why would anybody not want to grab it? Because you only have two choices, my friend, only two. Go down and let what what happens is what God says is going to happen to all mankind. But he says, look, some people say, that's not fair. No, 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 it's super fair. It's beyond fair. He doesn't have to save any of us but he chose to. So how do I lose? God wants to turn me out like his son. He wants me to look like his son, smell like his son, walk like his son, full of grace and truth, free from sin and the power of death, in complete fellowship with my heavenly father as I was intended to be from the very beginning. That's God's goal. So how do I have any ultimate power to make any of this happen? Look, on most days, I don't even know where my shoes are, okay? (laughs) Much less getting into any really deep conversation regarding eternal life. I'm just glad he sent his son who simplified the whole process. See, if you choose to embrace it, this launches us forward to see the way God does. We're not very good at divine perspective, folks. We're just not. We're not God, so we have a hard time seeing like God. But through the Holy Spirit, we can have the mind of Christ to begin to see things more from the heavenly perspective, not just an earthly one. So what's my point in saying in talking about all of this? Because what we see is Paul brings it up in Romans 8. He said, who God foreknew, he predestined. He's saying, look, let me just tell you, don't see that as an invasion of your privacy. Don't see that as an invasion of your free will. Just see it as God coming to rescue and be done with it. And let it affect your future with such impact that, man, you walk with a peace that goes beyond what anybody could ever experience. You can look into their eye and there's that little bit of panic when they think of the future. Hey, have you planned for the future? I mean, man, people freak out when they think of retirement, when they think about their health, when they think about so many things. But, man, when you know that God has an all-good plan for you and that your future is in his hand no matter how it turns out, there is a peace. Man, it's like the song, you're walking on sunshine, Right? Yeah, and that's what I think of when I, I got that song on my phone, don't I, Andrea? Yeah, I like that song. I like to be walking on sunshine from time to time and be reminded of it, the sun with an O. The third thing, and I got a motor from this verse. Our future is completed in God's eyes, and that's what we see here in the rest of the verse. God has good works prepared for us in advance to do. Why would he prepare anything for you if he didn't think you were going to do it? So, are there going to be a lot of good works left undone? Mm, probably. Probably. So, what does God see? What does God see in you and me? Did you know? And this is having to shift now because when you look at yourself, you see your past. You see what's going on in your life now. You saw the choice you made last night. He's, you, you saw and know what's going through your heart as I've been preaching this morning. You know what's going on. And so from a human perspective, we th- when we think of our future, we see it as kind of shady. We see it as looking through a glass darkly. We, we see it with bugs splattered on the, on the lens. But what does God see? And this is important. This is why we have what is called theology, by the way. This is true theology, looking from God's perspective down. How do we get there? Because none of us is God. You have to read the book. We just read it, as a matter of fact. Let's read it again. Verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What I want to show you right now, my friends, is that God sees it all done. God sees it as completed. He sees you glorified, and that's what Paul was trying to communicate to us. And he said, "Look, I'm going to take you around along each step. Those he seen in the that he saw that in how your life was going to be, he called you out." Who knows when? For me, it was when I was a small child and eventually a teenager. It might even happen for you today. I don't know. But what we do know is that sometimes it takes a lot of knocking on the door before we finally say and open it and say, hello. But he's called you. It's called the effectual call, by the way. In other words, God gets through eventually. And those he's called, he's justified. And what does justified mean? It means that God looks at you and says, You are now righteous because of what my son has done for you. And I noticed that sanctification wasn't mentioned here. Because he jumped that step. I like that. Because we get caught up in all the sanctification stuff. We're getting caught up in all of how I become like Jesus every day. But God is just saying, you know what, I've got, you know, that I've so got that for you. I'm moving on to justification. You are justified. And if you know that you're justified, let me just show you you're glorified. You're going to be standing with your new body. Paul, Paul said, he said, don't be, don't let death freak you out. He says, you will rise with Christ, and you will be given a place in heaven with me, and a new heaven and a new earth. See, the progression, it's here. You see it? This is what God sees in us. He sees all of it, only he's not just hoping like we do as parents. I hope my children turn out. I hope my children do well when they go off into life. I hope. I hope. I don't see it with a certainty. Why? Because I'm human. God sees you glorified, God sees you walking across the stage getting your diploma, God sees you successful. In your business ventures. I'm just using life examples. God sees you in a successful marriage. God sees you standing next to him in heaven. When he called you, he sees you glorified. And if God sees it, sees it, it's done. You say, Pastor Dave, what on earth are you talking about? Can I read it again? For those those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn Jesus, that is. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, God was intending to have a very large family. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, if Paul was messing around with our heads, then he would not have gone on to say, what he's getting ready to say in the rest of the verses. Let's look at him. What then shall we say in response to this? With what he just shared, what would be a human response? If God is for us, who can be against us? That ain't a weakling kind of a theological point. That's not by saying, well, brother, we'll see how it works out in the wash. We'll see how it's going to work out for your life. You know, you got this whole Jesus thing started. You might just get there if you're faithful to go to church every week. And if you pay enough for your tithe, you just might get there. It's not what Paul came to the conclusion. He said, man, if God is for me, then who in God's green earth above the, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? All things? I get all things? That's what he just said. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Man, I love the way Paul thinks. Because he knows, man, surely somebody, somebody's going to hear me talking this way. And they're going to walk up saying, who are you? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that. Who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's gone ahead of us and he's saying, "Look, I'm preparing this place. I can't wait for you to come. Your name is on the door." He said, "It's in the book." When I say it's on the door, that's not biblical, but I think it is because I think if it's in the book, then I think he's gone ahead to go ahead and put some initials on my towels that he's going to go ahead and put it on my door, that maybe I'm going to get a set of real nice pajamas that I've never been able to afford, and he's going to have them all laid out for me in my mansion that he said he's preparing a place for. Somebody's saying, that pastor's insane. Look, I'm telling you right now, if you believe these words and you let your heart go, but the problem is most of us have a very difficult time trusting a God we can't see. But that's what's called faith. And Paul was convinced of it, and that's why he wrote it. Who will bring an accusation against me? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, no one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Oh, this is a good one for all you touchy-feely types. Who's going to separate me from this warm and fuzzy feeling I got right now? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of being blown up, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. Paul's saying, look, that's the reality of what being Christian is. Paul didn't know whether he was going to live or die on any given day, but he quoted this verse daily to say, bring it on. Don't believe me? Keep listening. He says, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and you and I should be too, that neither death nor life, neither neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, that's where theology takes you. When you understand it and you embrace it and you do what? You apply it. This book is never to be something just worshipped and hung and, and put in a golden case and we all just say, that's an awesome looking book. It's, it's, it's practical. You write in the thing. You, you, you highlight the thing. You apply these truths to your life and they change you from the inside out. And when you think about your future, as I close that thing, when you think of your future, let me just tell you this. There's only one button. There's only one conclusion. There's only one settled truth. Nothing's going to separate you from that, that end. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of the Father and what he's already done for you. God says, it is finished, and it's finished for you too. It's waiting. So how shall we live? How do you live with this knowledge? Well, then I can just go eat, drink, for tomorrow I die. Nope. Nope. You live with intensity. You love him with all your heart and you get a hold of that purpose, and you get busy. You get busy, because you do not know the day or the hour when God's gonna close this up. We don't do good works to try to earn God's favor. We do good works because we love him. And that's what I do with, for the people that I love. I do extra dishes. I pick up my clothes. I do different things. Not every time. Now she's sitting on the row, front row there going. <laughs> you know, I don't try to do that to earn Andrea's favor. I do it because I love her. And that's exactly why we do Where Good Works for the Father, too. Is because it's like, man, you did that for me? No, I'm, I'm, what do you want me to do? Because I got one life, and I'm going to give it. Amen?